1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search The Thin Green Line Podcast on Patreon.com and join us. The Copper Pig Brewery in Lancaster, New Hampshire, is brewing traditional and innovative, high-quality beers, as well as serving a large menu of creative comfort foods, appealing to all walks of life, with daily specials sourcing many ingredients locally. Charitable involvement and support of their community is a cornerstone to the Copper Pig Brewery's mission. Voted number one in New Hampshire by WMUR Viewers Choice two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. Please join me at the Copper Pig. GuideFitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters, the trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime, and the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. GuideFitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitters Outdoor Partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm game warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter
3: we love our children we protect them we guide them we prepare them for life in the world with all that we do from deep in our hearts we cannot control all things life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year while we cannot change the circumstance we can make dreams come true dreams to provide hope to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a non-profit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. And Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org. And International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. (laughs) is Warden's Watch. Part 2 of the Northwoods Law Canines, Episode 39. And this is going to be the conclusion, and we're going to talk to the two other canine handlers we have, Eric Fluet, Bob Mancini, and then a future canine handler with Ken St. Pierre And uh, he's going to reveal a little surprise for you that you're not going to be able to see on TV. Well, you probably will see it on TV, but you're going to hear it first at Warden's Watch. So (laughs) get excited. Me and John Norris are such dog people, and it's just, it's so good to bring this into Warden's Watch. And, you know, you and the Thin Green Line and everybody that that uses dogs in conservation. It's just an awesome thing, John. And, you know, when I talked to Sarah Gardner, the 4-H leader, and I'm a 4-H leader, we talked first. You mentioned this companion dog program in california and i'd never heard about it and sarah and i talked about it after we were like uh yeah let's let's ask john about that because i've I've never heard that and it it just and he always mentions companion dog companion dog companion dog and you always post pictures of your yellow lab on on instagram it just shows you how connected you are to your dog too
4: (laughs) Yeah, the uh, Wayne, the, the cool thing is, and, and something I didn't realize that a lot of other states in our world of uh, conservation agencies aren't necessarily doing, and I, I hope they do more of them throughout the nation, is we kind of have a three-pronged approach to our canine program. And that first level is you know not a certified detection dog or a certified dual-purpose apprehension detection dog that obviously has to be vetted, extensive training. Uh, handlers have to go through, you know, all of their canine training, be selected, be vetted by supervisors, and canine administrators. And that's a long process. So the companion dog program we have in California, any game warden that has a dog that's been through obedience training and tested by an administrator um, that's had, you know, their licensing, their rabies shots, their vaccinations can patrol with an officer. The nice part about it is, is we can have our dogs with us. Every officer in the fleet can, so to speak. Um, even if they're not a certified canine handler in detection or dual purpose apprehension detection. So we have a majority of our wardens in California having their dogs on patrol with them. And I was one of those guys even before we started to, to develop advanced canine tactics for the marijuana enforcement team and, you know, Phoebe's story and, and that level of of, of canine work. My first lab was Jordan, and she was a companion dog ever since we really got back on track with a canine program around 2005, 2006. And even though she wasn't certified in detection, uh, that dog made so many cases, you know, ad hoc when we were in the woods, finding, you know, undersized fish that were hidden, finding over limits, finding untagged deer, finding bait piles, and just being able to melt the ice and get a confession, help me get confessions out of suspects that I would have never caught or made a case on because they saw that dog work in her nose and they know how good dogs can detect. They're amazing just to have yeah. as, a, as a companion. And when you're the only solo warden out there and you got nobody and you don't have, you know, backup two hours away or more, it's kind of nice to have even a companion dog. Um, Apollo, my second dog after Jordan passed in 2010, Apollo was a companion dog with me from right at six months. She was one of the youngest Labs to pass basic obedience that the chief put her through. very smart dog, so we got her through it six months. Wow, and she worked with me right at, right up until retirement at the end of 2018. and she's she's pushing eleven years old now. and she had another companion career like like Jordan did. She made a lot of cases when we were starting the marijuana enforcement emphasis on the cartel operations. She would go in early season, not to, not to detect officially and not to definitely apprehend anybody because that yellow lab isn't going to bite any gunman. <laughs> She's uh-huh. going to lick them to death. But she would detect marijuana very far away because of that great nose of hers before we could even smell it and actually saved our lives several times in the early season of, of uh, cultivation when we were about to walk into a new grow site with a small scout team. So little things like that, man, just make it awesome. And had obviously two great companion dogs during my career and you're a dog guy and you have your, your, uh, your dogs and most of the wardens we know have them. So Mm. the companion dog program is cool. And I hope other States, you know, get on board with it. And the other cool thing about it is it also helps get the right handlers kind of in, in line to go further into the canine program and become an official canine handler because they've got a dog with them all the time. You know, they know right. the ins and outs of, you know, the logistics of what it's going to take to take care of that dog, where you're going to put them, how they're going to act on patrol inside and outside of the vehicle. So all of those things come into bear. And we, uh, we you know, groom up a lot of canine handlers just by having a companion dog early in their career. Mm.
2: Well, Colonel Jordan wraps up our podcast, so hopefully he's going to listen to the whole thing and, and hear about this yeah. canine uh, <laughs> companion dog. And is, is Apollo still with you? Is that the dog that I'm seeing on Instagram that still runs with you and stuff like that? Or yeah, is that a d- that's,
4: that's her? Yeah, yeah. That's, she's a little English yellow lab, little fifty pound fire plug, and kind of small fits everywhere, but yeah, she's still, uh, she's still trucking. She doesn't run as fast as she used to, but she's still out there on the trail with me every day, three to five miles. And, uh, you know, up, up in on hunts and things like that. And, uh, and goes everywhere, you know, and when I'm doing the outreach road show, she's in the car, she's in the truck travels great. And, uh, yeah, but I'm sure like, like some of the dogs you've had, she's starting to get up there in years and she's <laughs> slowing down a little bit. And I'm just hoping, you know, uh, we're blessed to have her another couple of years at least because she's, she's been an amazing dog and that's going to be, she's going to be a hard family member to lose when the time comes
2: yeah no my shepherd's at eleven, and he's certainly showing his oh, age, yeah. so but he still shows his <laughs> intelligence in the hot days. I open the the door to the basement he goes down and spends the day in the basement and comes up at <laughs> night he he's he's very very sharp. I will say that he's always been very intelligent and i uh, I can still see that, and I keep pointing that out to my son who has the German wire hair pointer cork, and uh, I keep showing him the difference between uh the pointer and the shepherd the 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 actually the brain right. working first is just the instinct go 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 go. <laughs> I love it. Man. That's so cool. <laughs> but she she does a dynamic job. She's been uh, first place quite a few times in the 4-H dog shows with obedience, and that was always my strong wow. point was the obedience. So yeah, so he's he's a pretty proud kid of his dog, and, and, and should be so. And that's kind of neat by bringing on the 4-H into this, and hopefully cultivating new dog handlers as game wardens in the future because 4-H kids love the outdoors. They got a passion. Got a passion for animals, and it's just. It fits well, So I'm I'm pretty excited we were able to do this podcast and join them. And then remember Ruby, uh, our our lead handlers, who's running the program now, K9. And everybody saw her on Northwood's Law and followed her. So that was a tragic event for uh, viewers of that show as well as as Bill. So glad we could do all this and, and wrap it up. Episode 39, it's going pretty quick, huh, man?
4: Oh, it really is, man. It's trucking right along. And thanks to all of our listeners and viewers, you guys are really making this show fun. Um, you're motivating different topics from, from both Wayne and I. And and the cool thing about it is this one, like you said, Wayne, is very special because it's so canine heavy. You know, it hits heavy on the emotional level. And uh, I think you guys are going to love this one. This one is uh, this one's special. Enjoy it.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward with a post of you and Apollo again. I know you get got quite a few of them out there, but now would be a good time to do another one. <laughs>
4: I I won't give the farm away, buddy, but one's coming real soon. Okay, that's great, John.
2: (laughs) So I hope everybody enjoys Episode 39, Part 2, Northwoods Law Dogs. Thanks. And next in our lineup of New Hampshire Conservation Officer Canine Handlers is Eric Fluet, who handles... Canine Moxie and Eric's been on this show before, so he's no uh, no newbie to podcasting. He's he's new to the video stuff, and I, I guess I can say I am too. But it's good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining me, Eric.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: This is kind of a neat podcast that I'm doing. A I want to remember Ruby, Bill's dog that passed away this past year, and I think we all know that these dogs become members of our family. So it's like losing a family family members. Certainly you know, want to do something for Ruby, for Bill. And it's kind of special because of COVID-19, the New Hampshire 4-H dog clubs aren't meeting right now. So they're doing everything virtually, which to be honest with you with dog training, can you imagine doing dog training virtually? Yeah, it's not going so well. So this is kind of uh, expanding different things so, so kids can learn different things via the computer via zoom via these interviews you guys are kind of front and center being on northwood's law you're the 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 canine handlers on tv right now so i think that's pretty exciting for these kids they get to see these dogs work every sunday night (laughs) (laughs) most of the time So let's start off with Moxie. Uh, you know, I, I I think I got a good relationship with Moxie cuz I was the lieutenant when she came on board with us and that that was exciting in itself and we've come a long ways. The name Eric. I mean, did you have a lot of input on the name or you just kind of pulled that out of the refrigerator, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was uh right out of the, you know, a Moxie can. Yeah, certainly after the after the soda and uh, kind of fit well and yeah, it's a uh, was pretty quick to there choose. wasn't a lot of
2: debate was it it was like uh, i don't know what i'm gonna call my dog as i reach for the moxie in the refrigerator right <laughs> and you were like here it is moxie i love it you know <laughs> yeah
0: no it has got that uh mixture of it's got a good fit for her, i think so
2: yeah no no doubt no doubt and you have the only yellow lab the yellow dog
0: yeah and i don't know if you can tell that it's uh yellow this is a relatively uh Newly dry-cleaned uniform, so maybe it's not fully old hair yet. So So that's the downside
2: of having a yellow dog, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've I've bought more lint rollers in the last uh, three years than I ever have in my life, so.
2: That's too funny. Well, at least your girlfriend doesn't have to know that you know the blonde is the blonde, so that that works out for fairly good, huh? She's not pulling brunette hair off of you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: so the process of fixing out Moxie. I mean, were you were you after a yellow dog or just uh, how'd that work out? You just went down to some testing and she tested out the best, yeah. or
0: yeah. So it was uh, it was actually pretty neat because uh, for the longest time of my personal life, I, I had actually wanted a yellow lab, but really with our, our work, I'm just, you know, not home enough and uh, just never really pursued a dog in my personal life. Yeah. So when I had the opportunity uh, with you, Wayne, to get, uh, you know, a working dog, uh, it just was, was a perfect in any dog, whatever color make model it was going to be would have been just fine. So in any case, uh, Wes and Belinda had were gonna give us the next dog, and I'll, I'll never forget. I think it was at, you know I want to say it was Wild New Hampshire Day. They, I met with them, and hey, it's uh, so we've got. It's gonna end up being a yellow lab, and I, I was just so ecstatic to to have that dog that I wanted anyway. You know, so to me, the the yellow lab was my ideal dog. So uh, since then, uh, yeah, we've been. Just partners, uh, partners in work and home.
2: Well, that that's great. And did you like go down to see the puppies? And you know, Moxie came running right over to you. Or do you have to beat off twenty puppies? Or that that whole selection on how? I mean that that that's that's a little stress. You want this is your partner. This is somebody you're going to spend uh, your, your every waking moment with. So uh, that selection process is a uh, pretty important.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, so basically in the. In the week or so before we went down to pick pick her out, I got a basically a, a rundown on on canine selection for for our working dogs. So, just had some quote tests to, to run the dogs through, and um, and basically, so we went down. Lieutenant Boudreau and I had no idea the depiction of the previous handlers who went down and checked the dogs out. So, uh, both. Uh, James and Bob had had been down and done a selection process uh, before us, to, you know, with tests. So, Lieutenant Boudreaux and I went down. Of course, numerous uh, cute little yellow labs running around, and
2: they were all yellow.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, all yellow there. labs in, okay. a, in a pen, ready to ready to play, chomping at the bit to meet us. So, so ultimately, we started selecting one at a time and just running them through the tests. And uh, it was kind of neat uh, through the same process. We got down to two dogs and they happened to be the same two dogs that uh, both James and Bob had gotten the dogs down to. I think it was a red and a, a green collared dog. So, um, so we ended up matching the same two dogs that we felt would be great for our line of work. Just the same as uh, James and Bob.
2: That, that's pretty cool. That means your selection process is working. you're you're picking up the same dogs for yeah that's pretty awesome
0: yeah so those two you know stood out to to all of us in and then i'll I'll never forget i think it was just yeah bob you know uh lieutenant boudreaux and i were going back and forth you know how do i i'm stressing out i'm losing more hair it was just it was bad you know just like i don't want to mess this up and Mm -hmm. uh it basically I think everybody you know everybody on site was just hey you know which one which one are you leaning towards and just go with your gut and yeah. Moxie just yeah she and I clinged right there and uh, so I, I was pretty set on on walking her
2: what color was her collar just out of curiosity uh, so
0: she was the red collar yeah nice
2: and there's different selections if you want a, a working dog you're looking for certain specific things aren't you
0: well yeah that's what was neat. I I remember one of the processes uh, it's kind of funny because she's kind of changed to be opposite now um, we dropped a basically a dog bowl in the area the vicinity of the dog nothing like you know crazy to scare but but enough to startle the dog you know the dog's not um, doesn't know know what's coming necessarily and drops it in the area and then uh, it was funny because we were looking, you know, see how startled the dog would would be and would it come back to investigate what had happened. And uh, Moxie, of course, came running right back. So it was like, oh, this is great. And uh, now she's afraid if her tail hits a leaf on a tree that she's not expecting. So <laughs> it's kind of funny that, that all those tests and then, uh, yeah, that one in particular, I feel like it's just funny because she's now afraid of her own shadow. So. Yeah. She, she's t- <laughs> But it was a great... Yeah,
2: she's done that on other things, too. Like, uh, I wanted to tell everybody about her experience with trying to learn how to swim because I was there for some of that, which, again, we've gone total opposites, haven't we, Eric? I mean, when we tried to get her to swim up at uh, First Lake, I mean, that was a challenge. Oh
0: yeah,
2: I mean, she she wouldn't go uh, in the water.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you you know, I've always had that stigma of uh, labs just, you know, loves the water and... Like I said, never really raising a dog uh, in adulthood here. So it was my first. So whenever, yeah, whenever we we started around the water, plenty uh, between the house. And the first time she went in the water was while we were canoeing as a puppy. So she decided to jump right in. And maybe that deterred her from kind of wanting to get into it more. I don't know. But yeah, so. I, I tried everything. I tried being in a canoe in the pond, you know, trying to coax her with her toy. And ultimately, we were up at a, a family camp in in Maine, and there, uh, Mary's cousin's dog was there. We were coaxing Moxie, trying to get her to go. And the other dog was swimming swimming like crazy. And eventually, she, she jumped right in and chased after the, the ball or stick, whatever we were throwing. And and uh, since then, now it's like she's got radar for wherever a <laughs> mud puddle might be, uh, you know, the most ugly, you know, grossest water you could find uh, or what have you. And that yellow lab turns into a black lab. Pretty so, yeah, so, yeah. it's a blessing and a curse. So She loves the water and it's, uh, it's great. Yesterday we were on a search and I swear as soon as she's got at all a feeling that she needs to cool down, it's. It's I'm going to run to the stream that, of course, is right beside our search area and cool down, which in the end, it kind of works out good because she cools down and gets back focused. But yeah, she's got a straight line line of sight on any water body when we're out and
2: about. No, that that's that's just too funny, and just uh, being there and seeing her that first time, you tried so hard to get her in the water, back and forth, back and forth, tossing it just beyond her reach, and she would not, would not go in the water. And to see her now, talk about opposites, it's it's just a huge change. That dog, and Eric has a pond at his house in the backyard, and as soon as he lets the dog out, and he's like, "Don't jump in the pond," like, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: that's you're the dog heads yeah. in that pond. <laughs>
5: At
0: least yep. it's not a mud puddle. Say, geez, yes, yes, at least that's the only nice thing. I leave a, I leave a towel on the porch because <laughs> every night after work I open my cruiser door and she just goes straight to the pond, jumps in, and then comes to the porch. So about the time that i am got all my gear out of my cruiser to bring into the house, she's coming soaking wet, so I dry her off and bring her in.
2: Oh, that's in <laughs> And great. that
0: concludes her, her work day. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Moxie's got a sister at home, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I've got uh, her sister Millie, so an Australian Shepherd. We uh, we, uh we got her not long after getting Moxie, so she's uh, about six months uh, less in age than Moxie. So, mm-hmm. and they get along well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So any, yeah, they're they're uh, they've been together since, and um, geez, they're just. They, they uh, certainly love each other and uh, play in every aspect that you'd think two sisters would play uh, as far as chasing each other around the yard and everything. And, um, but yeah they're they're uh, pretty inseparable. so
2: that's great. So your training, I mean, you. it's it's a lot of training, especially when you start from a puppy because you have that puppy time. And then uh, we've been talking to uh, James Benvenuti and Billy Boudreau and talking about going to Vermont for six weeks. And for you being as remote as you are, you just add some hours of traveling and uh, just to get to the Vermont Academy, how long does that take you?
0: Yeah, so it's three three uh, and three and a half one way for me to get to the Academy. So on a a training day I'll be seven hours of driving and usually a mixed stop somewhere in there.
2: Well, that's a lot of commitment. So, yeah. And that's what being a canine handler is. It's commitment, isn't it?
0: Oh yes, yes. That's the uh that's the one thing with work on a given day, yeah, you can be done hopefully at the at some point in uh with, with the canine handling, you're kinda always have some aspect of responsibility with work, uh, you know, every day with her. Mm. So
2: your first find with Moxie, can you share that with us? Or one of your your big cases that you've put together using Moxie? Because I know as officers, we all love bringing a canine in to help us because they are so much faster, more efficient, and find us evidence. And we can put cases together, find people, you know, and that's what our team's all about. And uh, just share, because I know that's kind of, you get those special moments with your dog when you put all that effort into it. And then you get some yeah that reward
0: yeah so it's kind of neat the one that jumps right to mind was yeah my first find with Moxie would have been had a hunter related shooting that occurred uh, down at Millsfield so basically got the call the night before that hey we need you down here we're going to go into the scene got down with Sergeant Lucas CO Jim Sears and they had investigated uh, the night before and and again we were there to kind of do, do the scene work wrap up that day. Uh, the, the shell casings were, it ended up being a shotgun related incident. Um, so the shell casings were visible, but certainly a great aspect to train and, and utilize moxie on. Um, so located those, you know, a lot of physical evidence at the scene with, with the location of this being a real thick area involving hair hunters. From there, a lot, of, lot was going on on scene. I, I worked Moxie out the basically the trajectory that that uh, shot uh, or shots took place at. Basically trying to locate the, the wads or any other related shot uh, piece um, out in that vicinity. You know, Moxie is fresh out of the academy at this point. So we we ran that trajectory. But again, a lot of distractions and stuff going on at the scene. So I put her up back in the cruiser. Uh, we wrapped up all the all the work with that with that line in in scene with with the COs there once that was complete I decided to bring Moxie back in uh, for a a second sweep of the area and this was just she and I in that in that scene Uh, it was kind of it was really neat actually so I, I worked out that trajectory and uh, and spun back. This would have been the the uh, you know, one of the sides of that line. In in working back, uh, we literally were probably let's say 30 feet from off of the trajectory line. Moxie starts getting getting uh, birdie on something, so she's she's got a change in behavior, and and ultimately she's getting excited, her
2: tail's wagging, and you're, you're oh, yeah, she's detecting see something. The
0: whole, yep, yep, in uh. And I'm a little ways from her at this point, and it's real thick, thick fur, just nasty stuff. So sure enough, she downs on something, and I could see this this red, uh, I believe, it was red wad uh, that was in in amongst the um, in amongst the leaves and and stuff at the base of one of these furs, and it was so exciting because it was. A spot that you wouldn't have necessarily looked back at, uh, almost as if it had deflected off of one of the trees and bounced back towards Mm. the shooter. Uh, So it was a really neat, you know, neat first find. And uh, so I was ecstatic. Uh, Spun back in literally uh, on the other side of that trajectory line, located uh, an additional uh, wad that was only in that case I think 10 feet or so off of the trajectory line in any case three of us had been in there uh, to you know a fourth to include moxie uh, we hadn't initially located that those pieces of evidence and they certainly weren't they weren't extremely valuable in this case uh, but they were a nice piece to put together for for the investigating COs.
2: It's safe to say that you guys would have never found that evidence if it wasn't for moxie
0: Oh no! In in that you know that color of that they they blended in so well. I I it was kind of neat. I took some photos once Moxie down and stuff. I played with her, and uh, when I took photos of that, it's almost hard. To, it's hard to see in the photos that I'm taking from you know, let's say my height, you know, whatever, where my hands are five feet away or so. Uh, they blended in very well. So, when you got
2: Moxie there with you right now?
0: Oh yeah, yes. Uh, She's sleeping.
4: She's sleeping.
2: That's what she does best, right? You gotta sleep when it's time to sleep, and you gotta work when it's time to work. That's uh, that's what dogs do. You gonna
6: say
0: hi? You gonna say hi? Yeah. So <laughs> that's yeah. Great. She uh, yeah. She was in the cruiser for a long time yesterday, so I think she's she had her morning her breakfast, and now she's in her morning nap routine. So
2: great well great eric i really appreciate you um is there something you want to say about moxie that not a lot of people know about i think we got into some of her personality but the the water thing you know a little tidbit that maybe is a little funny or something unique
0: yeah she uh i'm trying to think her you know her swimming habits probably the biggest thing um but she is uh, absolutely a lab in every aspect when it comes to food. If I haven't fed her by the designated to the team minute of every day, it, it ends up being that that sit and stare from, I, it could be 15 feet away, it could be like two feet away, and she just sits and stares, and, and she won't leave your side until you've gone downstairs and filled her dog bowl, so... Yeah, I would say it's uh, that would be another funny aspect of her. I mean, she's it's like she knows the clock's ticking and she's gonna fade away if I don't get her her meal, for, her second meal for the day, her first meal. So. And
2: does she still attack the food like she used to? I mean, literally when she was a puppy, I've never seen a dog like that just ferociously attacking. Her oh yeah,
0: I, uh, so. Yeah, I can go get this thing. Uh, we end up, we got a bowl that has essentially a maze through the whole thing. You know, our first, the first, yeah, couple of weeks having her, um, even as a puppy, it was just, it was obscene how quick she'd eat. So, <laughs> um, in an effort to slow her down and, uh, um, you know, make it a reasonable breakfast and dinner. We got her this bowl that's, it's, again, it's just got all kinds of crevices through it. So um, she has to, it, instead of it taking 30 seconds for her to eat her meal, it, it at least takes two minutes. So uh, it's, a, it's a little better.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, uh, dogs take on attributes of their owners, and I'll say that. So, <laughs> And I'm wondering, in your in your cupboard, is there a mazed Phil Bowl?
3: Well,
2: oh, yep, yeah, that that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. yep. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. That that's great, and th- thanks so much, Eric, for taking a little time to you know bring some reality to the the 4-H dog clubs um, and doing this for Ruby as well. And certainly, uh, you know, the kids get inspired by you guys and seeing how dogs work and how you guys train, and then they bring that home to to train, and hopefully next year we'll be in better condition to compete and at the fairs and such like that. Thanks a lot for taking your time.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, honored to be a part of it and uh, appreciate the opportunity, Wayne. And yeah, don't let, uh, for those 4-Hers, don't let this, you know, discourage you. Uh, there's still, you know, even with us with training, you know, remotely and, and not getting together, we've kind of been spinning it on our own with, and uh, in, in coming up with different different ideas on on how to train. So I think in the end, if, it, if you can make something better from it and, and come up with some new new ideas on training, that's a positive too.
2: So. Awesome. No, thanks for that tidbit too. Appreciate it. So we're following up. A little different, a little different, but it's, it's pretty cool. You guys are going to get the insight into the future of the New Hampshire Canine Program. And we have with us right now Ken St. Pierre, officer, conservation officer, game warden, Ken St. Pierre, who is stationed in the Lakes Region area, and you might have seen him on Northwoods Law as well, but he is the newest member of the canine team, huh, Ken?
5: Yeah, that's right, Wayne. I just got on the team here in April, don't have a dog yet, we're looking to get one in September, and kind of doing my reading up, doing my studying, and trying to help out the rest of the guys as much as I can where I'm at right now.
2: So even Douglas, you are part of the team, aren't you? They're making you run tracks, aren't they?
5: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, I get plenty of workout. You know, <laughs> I, I got to run tracks for for Bob and and James and Cora and Ruger and um, Moxie. So I'm out there running tracks. They're coming to find me. Um, but it's it's a good it's a good learning opportunity for me because you know while I'm sitting there waiting, I can watch them from a ways off and you know really kind of focus on the dog and see what the dog's doing and. I'm starting to pick up different things and kind of learn, you know, what to look for and, you know, how to read these dogs. And I mean, my dog is going to be complete, could be completely different. I could have completely different cues and you don't know, just knowing what to look for is definitely going to be a big help.
2: Yeah, and for those that don't know, when you lay a track, uh, a person lays a track. They usually start at a certain location so the handler knows, and then he basically walks in the woods and makes how many turns, how many this, how many that, and then the dog follows them. There's a time frame in between too. It's like an hour, two hours, depending depending the track. And uh, are you laying short tracks, long tracks, or up to a mile? Or well, when you lay a track um, out, Ken, what do you ha- what do they having you do?
5: Most days it's been right around a half a mile walk for 10, 15 minutes and, you know, try to try to make it not super difficult, but, you know, obviously throw in turns, throw in uh, maybe some cross contamination stuff, as far as trying to, you know, cross a hiking trail, something like that. So the dog has to get to these other scents and, you know, kind of figure out which one he's actually following and, you know, pick me out of the group and then keep going. So it's, it's you want it to be challenging for the dog, but not not impossible, because when you're training, you never want you never want a failure. You always want to you know, you always want that success at the end of a training. That way they get that they get that praise at the end and they get that good job. So we uh we try, we challenge them, but we we don't make them fail.
2: Yeah, it sounds like you're already learning, and that's that, that's great that they bring you into this dog list to start the process. Because even when you have a dog, I mean, tr- you guys as handlers are always laying tracks for each other and cross training with each other, with each other's dogs, aren't you?
5: Yeah, yeah, it's actually good. I mean, I live in a pretty central location for the the canine team. James and Cora are 20 minutes to myself. So anytime I need to meet up with them or we want to work together. It's not uh, not too hard to do. Bob and Ruger are fairly close as well. They're an hour. Eric and Moxie, they're they're the furthest ones away, so that that'll be a little bit tricky. But I mean, we still we train every you know every Monday. We have that's kind of our set schedule. Is you know, Mondays are training days, so we meet up somewhere in the state and just hang out, train the dogs, and make sure everyone's in top shape.
2: Nope, that's that's really cool. So, and you're gonna get a dog from West Reed, like uh, so many of the others have as well, huh?
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wes is, uh, yeah. I mean, he puts out great dogs. He puts out awesome dogs for us. We're looking for Ember. He's gonna have. Supposedly, there's gonna be a litter coming in mid July, and then you know, after eight weeks, they'll will be able to come home. So mid September looks like it's gonna be the time to really get, you know, all four paws on the ground and start working a lot harder.
2: Yeah. And Wes just put a comment on uh, the Warden's Watch uh, Facebook page that that should be have puppies on the ground mid-July and on the same schedule. So it sounds pretty good. But you may be looking for a different kind of lab, huh?
5: Yeah. So this this next uh, litter is going to be, a Wes said it's going to be a black and chocolate lab. So I mean, we've never had a chocolate lab before. Wow. We've got blacks and we've got uh, the yellow. So maybe, maybe we'll have a chocolate that will meet our needs and pass all the testing that we do. And maybe at the end, we'll be picking a, a chocolate this time.
2: I think that would be really awesome to have all the colors of labs representative. There is a golden, although Moxie can go yellow or golden, I think. So if we can get all those colors represented, that, that would be a, quite a team. And any ideas on names yet? You've been kicking those around?
5: Yeah, so I've been kicking them around and thinking I, right now I, I think I'm down to two. I struggled a little bit with a male name, but for a female name, I'm at Winnie. Um, I live right here in the Lakes region. I've got Lake Winnipesaukee in my patrol. It's a big part of my patrol. It's a big part of the state. I mean, it's the biggest water body in the state. Everyone who comes to New Hampshire knows you know, Lake Winnipesaukee, so everyone calls it Winnie for short. That was a, a female name that I picked out, and I'm, everyone I've talked to really likes it and you know, really likes everything that goes behind it. The male name took a little while. I think it actually came from... Chad Elliott, one of our, our fish culturists at one of our hatchery, I'm also on the dive team. On our feet, they're not flippers, they're fins. For the, the male name, I'm looking at Finn. Just, I think that's, uh, I think it's a pretty good fit, it's, it's still a, a pretty strong name as far as commands and things like that. So I think right now we're in between uh, Winnie and Finn, it just depends on, on uh, the sex of the dog.
2: Uh, well, this we're incorporating the 4-H kids into this, the 4-H uh, dog groups. Would it be okay if they, like, commented on the Warden's Watch Facebook page and threw some names out with you and you might like something better? Or?
5: Oh, definitely. I mean, it's uh, like I said, I don't have the dog yet, so we've got a couple months. There's, I've kind of been kind of putting it out to everybody, you know. If you can think of something good, Facebook, whatever, because I can only think of so much and I've only got – Enough uh, brain power to think of dog names for so long, so um, yeah. So having other people's f- input definitely helps.
2: Yeah, four H kids could throw out a name for a lab, potentially a chocolate lab, out on the Facebook page, and uh, just uh, give you some ideas. I think that would be good interaction, good ideas, and you maybe you stick with your originals. But I got a few ideas for you, Ken. I mean, you're you're a maple syrup guy, huh? You have a small maple syrup business called Big Lake Maple, huh? Yeah,
5: yeah. I've uh, I've been making maple syrup for. Five years now, we just finished up our fifth season. And then this past year, I actually made an LLC, Big Lake Maple. Once again, I grew up in Lakes region, um, right next to Lake Winnipesaukee. You know, everyone refers it to refers to it as the big lake. You know, let's, Hey, where are you going fishing? Oh, we're going to go up to the big lake. In my mind, I'm like, Hey, I'm right here. The lake's two miles away, Big Lake Maple. Luckily it wasn't taken. So I put the, uh, put the LLC on it and now I'm legitimate.
2: Cool. And yeah, I'm thinking, you know, with Big Lake Maple part of you, Lake would be a really cool, uh, male name. And Maple, if you had a chocolate lab, it's kind of mapley. Some dark syrup there can be, you know, yeah. kind of mapley. So I think, uh, yeah. writing your own, uh, write in your own uh, name you have two there lake uh, for a dog and uh maple for a female so that those those are my ideas see if the kids can beat them no
5: i have uh, i've definitely tossed around that idea too um right now i'm currently dogless i don't have a dog at home at all <laughs>
2: oh that's um, right you just lost your dog didn't you
5: yeah yeah i had to put her down in uh december she would have been seven this year things happen it, it is what it is uh, made the decision before it got real bad so uh we we had to do that but right now i'm dogless and you know i I want two dogs would be nice so i was thinking you know in the future if i get another dog that that would kind of go into the maple the maple aspects who knows who knows if someone can come up with something better than me then yeah by all means and you never know
2: how names will hit you because sometimes they just uh they're just there Oh, and they yep. they fit, and you're like, why did I think of that? But that would be, I think, a yeah, good exactly a good thing for the kids to do to have some interaction with you and throw out some names and uh, see what they come up with. Oh, and we've stirred their thoughts already. I think doing that. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome that you're getting involved with the canine team now and uh, getting your dog. Two dogs isn't bad. We talked to Eric Fluette who has two dogs in the house, and it seems like that works well together. So maybe yeah. uh, the, the kids can help you with that that, that second name of that second dog because uh, I think it's a lot easier on you when there's uh, two dogs around too. They can play together. They keep each other entertained, and I've noticed that at yeah. my house too when my son got his new dog that it probably added years onto my German Shepherd. So just a totally yeah. different feeling he was totally acting different, so I think that that's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a uh, a preview into what's ahead for the New Hampshire uh, canine. And I hope we get to, I hope Northwoods Law gets an opportunity to cover picking that puppy, much like they did Moxie and going through that process. Because uh, I think that was pretty fun for everybody to to see that on TV and be a part of that. And I think it'll be pretty awesome if we can do the same with you, Ken.
5: Yeah, that would be. It would definitely be. Uh, it would definitely be good. I know. I mean, I know when I enjoyed watching Eric, you know, go through the steps and I did go too. through being able to pick his dog and you know just seeing that that pure joy and reaction and you know seeing how how awesome it was. Unfortunately, with the way things are right now, who knows what the circumstances will be in September? But you know, we can only hope for the best and absolutely. Hopefully, something something good comes out of it.
2: Well. Thanks for joining Warden's Watch and, and giving us all that information and interacting with the 4-H kids so they can uh, throw out some names there for you. Appreciate all you do for the citizens of New Hampshire, man. That that's good. It's an awesome, awesome job.
5: Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Don't be a, don't be a stranger. We always got always got good stuff going on.
2: No doubt. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Wayne. And now I'm with Conservation Officer Bob Mancini and Canine Ruger. And Bob is our most Senior member to the team, Ruger's our most senior dog with a little uh, sabbatical there in between, huh, Bob? Uh, but Ruger uh, was stayed with you and you stayed up to, to currents when you took a little sabbatical there. But I just want to talk about, you have the most tenure as far as it goes on the New Hampshire Fishing Game Canine team for sure. You know, you trained with Mark Hensel initially. Ruger's our most senior dog at, what did you say?
6: So you will be eight in October, I can't wow. believe it.
2: Yeah. Goes quick. Is that old for a working dog? Uh...
6: Um, so ideally, you want to you wanna work a dog in their prime when they're going to be most. Like my heat alarm's going off right now for him, actually. You want to work a dog in their prime. Is it prime. hot in there? Yeah. I, I'm going to just check on him real quick.
2: So Bob's eye just checking. He's sitting in his cruiser. And if you're on Patreon, you can actually see this video. He just went out and checked uh, Ruger real quick. Now he's back in the saddle again. And yeah, there's Kenine back. Ruger right beside uh conservation officer game warden uh, Bob Mancini. He's got a little gray around his uh his lips there, huh, Bob? Giving you a kiss there.
6: <laughs> we we both you you both have a little gray. <laughs> yeah. We gave him I don't know who gave him to who, but we got him, so yeah. Or working with it but yeah he's gonna be eight in october and fortunately he's he's very much in great condition really watches diet i should say the same about myself he you know he's on a regimented food and vitamin intake every day it's all measured out that just keeps him at the pinnacle of form and so he can operate at a high level when needed yeah he's a. It's amazing. They don't forget anything. And we did have a little, little uh, sabbatical from fishing game for a couple of years, but, um, we still maintained our training and that's really important. Uh, dogs, they love to work. They love to please. And for him, he's very much toy driven. So we utilize that toy and some food along the way to get him to really want to want to perform at a high level. And that, fortunately it's worked out that way.
2: Yeah. I think he's a little love driven too. I saw that little kiss he gave. (laughs) you. It was pretty happy. You checked on him (laughs) and you've had Ruger since what? 11 weeks. You said
6: 11 weeks old. So yeah, we, we got him. He was just a little puppy and a little ball of black fur. And I, I guess I would have never imagined how, how amazing it would be and, and fulfilling it is to have a canine partner. They're, they're much more than just a partner, you know, it becomes a member of the family. Really for me, it was kind of my first crack at being, uh, you know, having to care for somebody other than myself. That's been, that's been very helpful now that I have two little, little kids and James and, and Ava grace. So he's, he's, he was kind of my Guinea pig. I, I love having them. The missions that we get called to or have been really incredible. A lot, a lot of fun, extremely rewarding, Finding people is is exhilarating. Whether it's a criminal or a missing person, somebody who's dead or alive, it's it's probably the most exhilarating thing that you can experience in a in the realm of search and rescue as a as a volunteer or or any type of participant. And then evidence is second. Um, I love finding evidence, whether it's uh, in relate in relations to a homicide or officer involved shooting or even evidence. To help us put together um, a wildlife crime, all all of those things have been very very enjoyable.
2: Can you give us a scenario, you know, that really stands out in your mind, whether it was a track or evidence or something really critical? Uh, one of those uh, one of those stories, Bob, of you and Ruger doing their job.
6: I guess we we could just kind of go to a most recent one, which was really really kind of neat got called i was in twin mountain patrolling and i heard over the radio of a of a juvenile that had some suicidal tendencies and had had fled her residence it's just uh one of those cases of being at the right you know right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and uh, i got on the radio i said i was in the area uh we responded and when i get out of the truck I always meet with the officer on scene to try to get an idea of what's going on what am I looking for from the time that I got out of my truck I hit I hit my I have an app on my phone and it'll it records a track and I also record a track on the GPS but from the time I started my track and arrived on scene to the time that we located this missing juvenile was under 10 minutes and she was a half mile from her residence it was pretty much a a dead a very quick Brisk walk or a slow jog the entire time through the woods, across brooks, open fields, back into thick woods, and down into a really steep drainage. And Ruger founder. What I like to say about canines and and handlers is that they they essentially are um, a force multiplier. If we were to have to go and search for this this female who had who had taken a lot of uh, medication was. It was in real uh, dire straits as far as, you know, going to be passing out at some point and not be uh, responsive. So if we were to put officers and do a foot search on the ground, that could have taken hours to search that same half mile distance from the place last seen. And Ruger did it in 10 minutes. When I think of anything, I just think of dogs are really a force multiplier. We can show up on scene. We can search an entire field for a shell casing in minutes. That same officer might be out there with a, a metal detector, walking, doing a grid search for hours to find the same piece, or maybe they don't find it at all. In my in my experience, Ruger has just been a force multiplier. All of our canines in the entire division are are great dogs. They're excellent at evidence detection. Excellent at at tracking and fish and wildlife detection. And it really comes down to the amount that our department allows us to train the tools and equipment that we have at our disposal to, to do our jobs effectively.
2: You know, we, we talk about your sabbatical. That's something I, I just want to kind of get into because it just kind of tells you what kind of agency you work for. Because when you work as a team with a canine, technically the department owns the dog, correct?
6: Ruger is, he was, he is a... An employee for the department, and he is a he's a piece of equipment owned by the department. The department purchased them, and gave me the opportunity to work them as a handler. But very much is owned and taken care of by the department. And in 2017, I made a really difficult decision to to take another job um, as a chief in Sugar Hill, a very small town in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. I remember having a a very candid conversation with Colonel Kevin Jordan at the time. And I said, you know, Colonel, if, if you say, I can't take Ruger, then, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to stay. Cause I don't want to leave the dog. And he's like, I could never take your dog,
3: mm-hmm. even
6: though he didn't you know, necessarily want to lose me as an employee. He, he wasn't going to do, you know, get in the way of something that he thought that I wanted to do. They allowed me to keep Ruger after leaving and I was able to work him in Sugar Hill and he had several fines while we were a team in Sugar Hill but it just didn't the amount of calls that I got in Sugar Hill didn't even compare to the amount of calls I got as a conservation officer with the fishing game department we we get called all over the state for a variety of issues uh tomorrow we're going to be going down to a uh, a place in the Lakes region to look for firearms uh, in, relate, in relation to a big felony case. We get called to search for um, shell casings and you know, homicides and stuff that I just wasn't getting a real chance to do working in the small town, don't have as many resources and connections. Uh, the tracks were still there. We we're getting called by the local departments that needed help finding criminals and missing people, which is great. But a lot of our our calls are related to evidence detection, and Ruger's really he's really pretty exceptional at it. So, to not be able to use him for his intended purpose was was troubling for me, and I I didn't feel like I was you know fulfilling my own career. I just missed missed the variety of being a conservation officer. It's it's a job that you can't compare to anywhere else unless you're in wildlife law enforcement somewhere around the country. You probably don't understand some of the things I'm talking about. You just there's there's a lot of drive and a lot of personal pride that goes in into being in wildlife law enforcement. You're working hours you don't get paid for, inclement weather all the time, and uh, you just you make the best of it because it's fun. It's an adventure. Every day is an adventure, <laughs> and I love that.
2: I I did too, Bob, and I we're very happy to have you Ruger back. It just uh, it just says so much for our department and the Colonel to to have let you gone with your dog though, because you're a team. You're it's a partnership. It's uh, yeah, to take a man from his dog. I mean, we've heard stories of that happening in the military and other agencies, and it just uh, it, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because it speaks volumes. Of the the department that I worked for, that you worked for, and I just uh, I just appreciated that knowing the bond between man and dog or woman and dog, and having that done for you and Ruger, and then to have you back, it's 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 really an awesome thing so very happy but there's some other things that i have you know I've talked to most of the guys on the team and ken st pierre who's going to be one of your team members coming up colonel kevin jordan's gonna to, gonna to wrap this up at the end too uh we're gonna interview him a little bit later and i'm gonna probably ask him we all have labs any idea why we went to labs or can you kind of explain that or it was was that specific to fishing game or what do you what are your thoughts on just you know laboratory retrievers and being partners with us
6: so I don't first I'll say is that any working dog that can accomplish the job that it's required to do is the right dog. If you, if you can have um, a Malinois or a German shepherd doing whatever job it is that you're looking to do in a law enforcement capacity, then, then that's the right dog for us. We do a lot of community policing. Uh, We are out checking licenses. We're out on, you know, boat launches, snowmobile trails, ATV trails, a lot of what we do is educating the public and wanting to be approachable. And labs um, historically have been a, a very kind breed there. They tend not to be overly aggressive. Um, they tend to be very um, eager to please and kind of people friendly. We'll just go with that, the term people friendly. So not only that, that community policing piece, but they also are highly trainable and we had good standing with a couple other previous Labrador retrievers that were exceptional dogs that were that were handled by Mark Hensel, who is a who who is now a state trooper and he ran our canine program for a long time. So Mark had very, very good luck with Poacher and Sig, uh, both Labrador retrievers. And so we continued with that going with Labrador retrievers simply because we had we had really good luck with them being excellent dogs at the evidence detection, fish and wildlife detection, and, and scent discriminant tracking. So it's not to say that another dog couldn't do the job that we're doing. It's just we've had really good luck, and it's the you know the old the old saying, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. In our case, that's the case.
3: Yeah, we
2: just that's a good fit. It works
6: out, and you know maybe someday we will have we'll have a different canine. We'll, maybe we'll have a hound. Who knows? Right now, our dogs are, when you think of it too, we're, we're not running just a hound that's doing scent discrimination tracking. We're, we're running dogs that we're expecting them to be able to key in on, on a single human scent and follow it for miles. We're expecting them to be able to find gunpowder, any type of human scent that's out of place in any location. And we're expecting them to be able to do fish and wildlife detection for turkey, venison, and fish. And so that's asking a lot of, out of a dog and you have to have a dog that's going to be able to, to do those things that you want it to do, which is multiple. There's multiple starting sequences. There's multiple trainings. Um, there's a lot to tighten up to make sure that the dog understands what you're asking of it and that you can testify in court to what the dog is telling you because it's all about the handler reading the dog and the dog not getting miscued by the handler. It's a real team. Mostly, mostly, I'm the dummy on the end of the lead following Ruger. That's the honest. <laughs> but to get to that point takes hundreds of hours of training, and a lot of um, a lot of trust goes in into play.
2: Yeah, no doubt. That's uh, that's pretty good. And you got Ruger kind of an odd way too, because you wanted a canine really bad, didn't you, Bob? And you went to I bat, bat for that canine. I Dude, did. Let's share I did. that story because I love that story. <laughs> wow, well, it says a lot know, about you too. It's <laughs> a while ago, so there,
6: there could be some some uh, authentic license here on my part. But what basically <laughs> we'll happened it. is I wanted a canine, and there wasn't enough funding to get another canine. Uh, Lieutenant B- Bill Boudreau had just got Ruby. Mark Hensel had. Sig, So we had two canines and they're really, while there was a need for another dog, there wasn't the funding um, piece, which is always critically important in a self-funded agency. If you don't have the money and you can't acquire the money somehow, then certain things have to go without. It's just how it goes. It's nothing personal. It's a business and Um, we have to go and get the things that are, are an absolute necessity and getting a dog at that time. A a third dog wasn't, wasn't the, the primary necessity of the department. It was important. It was on the radar, but it wasn't the pinnacle. Mm. So I, I had a a meeting down with Colonel Garabedian and then major Jordan. I was told at that meeting that I wasn't going to be getting a dog and it was, And I I wanted to clarify as to why, you know, I wasn't getting a dog. Was it performance related? Was it because I was a young officer? Probably questions that I shouldn't have asked hindsight 2020 because (laughs) it's um, really is none of my business. They said I wasn't going to get a dog. I shouldn't get a dog. So that's how it goes. But I, I asked, you know, as, as professionally as I could, is, is it because I'm not doing my job to your satisfaction is it because I'm a young officer? No, Bob, that's not the case. No, Bob, that's not the case. Is it a money situation? Yes, it's a money situation. Okay. Well, what if I raise the money? Is what I is that is how I kind of phrased the question. And I got a bit of a you know kind of a bewildered look by Colonel Garabedian. He was he was kind of trying to figure me out a little bit. And I kind of phrased it again. And I was like, "What if I go ahead and raise the money? What's the what's the cost to have the dog?" And how much are you looking for me to raise? And, and if I raise that amount, can I get one? The number was thrown out. It's about $2,000 a year for a canine back then. And we're going to need several years of funding to get it. If you raise you know, $8,000, then uh, you can go ahead and get a dog. I said, well, I'm going to raise that money. And I'll, I'll look forward to coming back and letting you know when I how I do it. It, it didn't take me long. <laughs> Before I left the office, our now colonel, Kevin Jordan looked at Colonel Garibedian and said, "He's going to raise that money. You're going to have to get him a dog." And so they kind of chuckled back and forth. But I that that stayed with me because there was some adversity there. Raising eight thousand dollars is Absolutely. is a lot of money. It's a it's a big task. It's a tall order. But uh, I just. I went to bat, and I thankfully I had a little bit of a background working at Franklin Pierce University in the fundraising department, so had a little little background with going going about writing letters on how to acquire funds and basically asking for money, and and I had to get permission to go ahead and do that, but uh, it didn't take long, and I had raised several thousand dollars. In fact, I I think I got a thousand dollar gift on my way home that day. So <laughs> that was. Um, and I, I, remember, I remember saying, "Yeah, I've, you know, I've only driven 90 miles, and I already got a thousand dollars on our way." And uh, I thankfully, I hit up a bunch of local banks in the Littleton area, and some of the other local businesses, and and some really, really, um, really supportive members of the community. And again, with with everybody's help, it. We, I ended up raising well over that amount of money. I don't know exactly how much, but it probably. Over the course of time, in the fifteen or twenty thousand dollar range now.
2: Yeah, and you even named your dog in hopes of raising some more money, didn't you?
6: We did. Yeah, I named him Ruger because I thought that that would be a good selling point. It turns out that Ruger did donate to the department in a different way um, through becoming an outdoors woman. So I thought that that was that was a you know definitely a, a good thing, no matter what. Even though it didn't come directly to the K nine program, it still helped out the department immensely. Everybody in our, in our agency helps uh, each other, the different divisions of the department uh, work hand in hand to do a good job and serve the people in New Hampshire. So naming Ruger after, uh, you know, Sturm Ruger firearms is, is something I'm proud of. And I have quite a few in my gun cabinet at home.
2: And I'm hoping they get a hold of this podcast and someone working for Ruger is going to listen to this and say, hey, we should donate to the New Hampshire Canine, uh, New Hampshire Fishing Game Canine Program through the Wildlife Heritage Foundation, who does all the fundraising and everything. And the whole canine program is pretty much dependent on that fundraising now. So my hope is someone at Ruger listens to this and they're like, geez, that's that's something we should uh, contribute to since uh, eight-year-old Ruger... You know has been around for a long time doing a lot of advertising for us and uh, hopefully we can uh, be a team member and pull our weight
6: <laughs> well, that would that would all be great yeah. you know, fingers crossed the fingers crossed if it happens but no matter what you know Ruger's had a he's had a great career we're gonna continue to have mm. a good career he's had a lot of a lot of fines over the years um, both people that are alive old young some some have you know been dead lot of evidence finds. And so it's been a very worthwhile career. I'm very lucky to have been paired with him. Mark Hensel did a great job picking him out out of all the other dogs that we could have selected. And thankfully, I got Ruger. So
2: Yeah, you just awesome. is he right there? Can you have him come up again yeah. one last time? Yeah. Just say hi to all the people watching the video.
5: What are you doing? Yeah, there he is. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, there he it's, is. it's way too much Go. loving. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great
6: stuff. We spend, you know, it's so funny. My wife, my wife will say every once in a while, "I swear to God, you love that dog more than me." I never answer her. <laughs> I'm not going to answer her today either. I'm not going to answer. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. But I love my dog. I love my partner. He never yells at me. He oh, always, uh, always in know, the back
2: seat, is, ready for to help you.
6: Yeah, he's yep. always in my corner. So well,
2: we're not. Thanks so much, Bob, for uh, sharing. And I, I didn't tell you, but first, and I know we've discussed off-air, but basically the New Hampshire 4-H dog clubs are, due to COVID, we're doing this distance learning, which, you know, they're going to be listening to this podcast, so that's part of it because they're training at a young age, teaching their dogs obedience, teaching their dogs confirmation, which is like fitting in showmanship, learning about dogs. They actually have to have studied. They have quiz bowls, and they compete. And, and this year, you know, it's just kind of a downer. So they're going to be uh, listening to this and answering answering some questions, and it's kind of a good way to start young people in the love of dogs. Uh, we're doing those, and we're dedicating this uh, podcast to the memory of Ruby that uh, Bill just lost his, his canine there, so um, we're doing that in her memory. Uh, it's just a, a great thing to do all the way around, and uh, thank you for participating in and making it special for, for all of those groups and, and our listeners.
6: My pleasure. Uh, working a dog, training a dog, is a monumental effort and starting somebody young to understand exactly what goes into it I think is a is a really it's it's critically important because you you know getting a dog is the easy part but getting them to do what you want them to do takes a lot of time a lot of effort and it is worth it no matter what even if you have a bad day try to try to make it end on a positive because the dogs remember I'll leave you with that the dogs always remember so try to make it fun
2: and they want want their relationship just like you and Ruger. Thanks, man. Yeah.
6: Yes. <laughs> thanks. Thanks again for having me. And uh, good good luck to everybody out there that's listening and and going to be training their dogs for the upcoming 4-H season. And good luck. It's a, it's the best thing you can ever do.
2: And we are going to conclude this canine New Hampshire canine fishing game podcast with Colonel Kevin Jordan. And the Colonel's joining me right now and it seems like a good way to conclude it colonel is wrapping up the the ins and the outs the the behind the scenes of the the canine of new hampshire fishing game to to bring you in it and you're a long time dog lover too that that's pretty evident i've always seen that and uh you've had quite of experience with dogs in your career and you love this program don't you yeah. colonel
7: i do very much yeah you're right as far as uh Ever since I was a kid, I love dogs. I always had hunting dogs. I always had hounds, beagles, and hounds, and uh, and then transitioned into shepherds when I was a teenager. and And uh, it's funny that I ended up at at one point in my lifetime, I had a Pomeranian that I don't share with everybody. His I, I remember
2: I remember him very well.
7: Yeah, well, you had you you had to arrive one day when we were kind of trying to figure out. Shelby and I who ran the house <laughs> <laughs> a gallant battle, but of course lost. And, uh, we were, we were actually friends <laughs> ever since. And it was, uh, it was comical because I unfortunately I ended up getting a divorce and he was what I got out of the divorce. So he ended up coming with me, which was a bit unique. And he spent another uh, five great years with me. And we, we became very close because he, at the end of the day, you know, all of the dogs are the same. They've got great personalities. They're individuals, just like people. I'll take him over people, quite frankly, any day. <laughs> um, but he, he, had his, uh, he had his faults and his strengths, and I miss him to this day. So you're right. I love dogs. So it was a no-brainer for me to have canines in this group. And you actually were one of the – well, there was, a, there was a history of officers before you, but I think you opened the door for what we could do with a good tracking dog, and you did that long before this program was here. Um, and so I also got a chance in the, when I worked in the field to see the advantage of having a good tracking dog and what it would do for us. And, uh, it is a pretty tremendous asset, uh, uh, asset to have that in the field. And I happen to, we happen to have three of the best in the country. So, mm. and quite frankly, agencies within our state have had to admit that. And they, even agencies that have dogs, their own dogs have called upon our dogs, uh, when, when, When it mattered, so they recognize it too. So yeah, they're they're incredible. I'd like to have twice what we have, and the goal is to increase that. But right now, we've got some good ones. So and some good, really good canine handlers, guys that are devoted to it and have worked hard.
2: Great. I'm going to step back because I want to tell everybody the story about Shelby that's, uh, yeah, that's sure. pretty interesting I remember we, we had to go to court that day uh, I got to your front door and I opened the door as I was opening the door you said don't open the door and here comes Shelby prancing out the door and you were yeah, none too yeah. happy and you went prancing out after she went around the garage prancing or him sorry and you went around yeah. the garage after and he came right back up the, the stairs I opened the door and he pranced right back in the door and then you guys had a set too in which he pooped on you <laughs>
3: so yeah, well, what he what he did just to, just to save his reputation
7: a little, <laughs> what he did was back then he didn't we when we left the home when we left the house he had to put him in a kennel and he didn't like that yeah. And so- decided that day he was going to take a stand and he was not going to go in a kennel. So I'm, I'm in a dress uniform because I'm about to prosecute one of your really poor cases, before, <laughs> which I did for you on a regular basis. And, yes, you did. So you were there to meet me and we we're both in dress uniforms and I'm chasing this dog all through the house, trying to get him into a kennel. So we don't become late. He's in the kitchen running just as you open the door and out he went. You're right. And <laughs> and so he comes back into the house and he made the fatal error very similar to a pursuit on the highway where where the defendant picks a dead-end road. He picked a dead-end hallway, and so he decided to stand his ground at the end of that. So I put on gloves and because uh, I knew this was going to not be a, a good ending, and I walked down the hall and grabbed him, and it was like picking up the Tasmanian devil.
2: It looked like a Tasmanian devil. <laughs>
7: yeah, he uncorked. I had no idea a dog that small could be that vicious. Oh. And ended up. It was so bad. He uh, he lost control of his bowels. It was awful. And, uh, we, and, of course, I'm mad now because I have a dress uniform with, with Pomeranian all over it. So I got to change. I'm definitely going to be late for court. And I'm just bad at this dog in general. And uh, so after that day, once we established who the boss was, uh, we got along pretty well after that day. And he never did that again. That was the only time I ever saw that. But it was a high. It was like picking up a rabid coon. Quite <laughs>
2: that's a good description because <laughs> yeah. that's what I saw. But yeah, and yeah. You, you, yeah, that dog went with you everywhere after that, driving around in your truck, always there, hanging out the window, totally. just uh, yeah.
7: He rode in the jeep. He loved. I had a jeep with no roof. He loved. You know, I take the roof off in the summer, and he loved it. And uh, we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts to get a coffee every day. He'd get a donut hole, and he became quite a good friend, which was kind of ironic because when he was brought home. He would not, I always had hunting dogs. I never had a dog like that. And that was clearly a lap dog. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I was not ashamed of him because he, he ended up becoming, he and I became very close for a number of reasons. And uh, I was glad he was with me uh, until he, until we lost him and we lost him. He, he was healthy right up until three days before he passed. And he his kidneys failed and I just couldn't watch him suffer. He was too great of a dog. So mm-hmm. I took him down and we did the, Honorable thing, but it was a, I can tell you, it was one of the, it was a tough day to say goodbye to that little guy. So,
2: yeah. And, and, uh, and we're I, dedicating I had this had podcast actually to Ruby because Bill lost his canine, Ruby. So that's, that's our dedication to this whole canine podcast this is Ruby and, uh, Bill's loss and Bill started this off and yeah, she was a dynamic dog. And I know you always require the guy canine guys to bring their dogs into the office. You, you want to see them if they're there, they, they got to bring their dogs.
7: <laughs> oh yeah. If they leave those dogs in the truck, it's, it's pretty well known. Now, if those dogs left in the truck, uh, Lisa, the office manager, uh, will condemn them, uh, forever and they will go back out to the truck and bring those dogs in. And even in training, I said, they're part of the family here. Go get them, bring them in. Oh, they'll jump all over everybody. I said, yeah, and everybody here will survive that. They don't do that. They are very well-mannered. They're good dogs, and I want them here with us. And so I insisted that. Ruby had her own personality, too. She was full of energy and full of life. She really was one of our first shining dogs, if you remember. Mm. She would do things things for us that no other canine had ever done. And she really paved the way, or made me personally understand and realize that this was a good decision. This could work for New Hampshire fishing game, and we should pursue this. And she is responsible. I'll always look back at Ruby as the little dog who sold us on that program because she showed us what she could do. I assembled. <laughs> to, just to tell you another funny story, I when we when we lost her, I was texting Lieutenant Budro, Bill. Asking him how she was doing, we were well to the vets, and he didn't answer. So I called him up on the phone the day that he he we made this tough decision, and I could find I discovered why he wasn't answering me. He couldn't even talk, and I said, "Hey, I'll be right there." Immediately drove down to the to the vets and saw her. I hadn't seen her in a while. She was really sick, and and the decision was made. And I said, "Take her home, Bill." so that the family could say goodbye to her and, and bring her back to the vets. We have a friend of ours that was the vet that really did some great things for us that day. So unknown to Bill, I called the K9 team and his district. And I said, listen, I, Bill won't want this, but I want us there at the, at the vets to be there when Bill arrives with Ruby in the morning. So he's not going through this. She's not going through this without all of us there. We'll be there to comfort Bill. And quite frankly, the rest of us were trash. So I could have used 30 guys to comfort me. I couldn't stop crying when I saw her like that. And it was a hard day to walk in with Bill when we took her inside. So it was, she is and always will be uh, part of the fishing game family. And, uh, and that was a tough day for all of us. So, but it was kind of funny. We did that to help Bill and we all needed to help. When we got to, Yeah. You know, <laughs> There was probably seven or eight season game wardens all crying like two-year-olds that day. So that was a tough day. And I'm hopeful that Bill, he stayed in the program, and I'm personally hopeful that he will make the decision at some point to do it again because he did a great job. He is running the program, and he does an outstanding job uh, running this K-19. So I, I kind of have encouraged him to stay there. I, I think he does he does it justice, and I like, I'd like to see him get another dog at some point.
2: Wow, that says a lot. So we, we talked to uh, Bob Mancini about his little uh, leaving Ruger? leaving and coming back with a canine Ruger. Another another indication, you know, Colonel, that uh, you are certainly a dog lover. A guy, you know, leaves the department and takes a piece of the department equipment with him via yeah. Ruger. And that, that, that says yeah. a, a lot, too, because that's not done a whole lot. hey, hey nobody you should leave us, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
7: Well, and he came in, you know, Bob, Bob left for a variety of reasons that and, and uh, at the time, and did it the right way, he came in very respectfully, and he was dressed in a suit to say goodbye and to tell me what his plans were. And I, I remember that day very well, because I'm having a conversation with him. I never entered my mind to, to not let him take Ruger with him. It just never came up. And so we're having this discussion, and I'm wondering to myself why it's continuing. I'm thinking that we've covered everything, and yet we're still in this discussion and all of a sudden, I'm a little thick sometimes. So, all of a sudden, <laughs> in the middle of the, the questions he was asking me, it dawned on me. I said, He thinks I want to take this dog. And I said, Bob, do you are you worried that we're going to take Ruger back? He said, "Well, Colonel, you know." He said, "You have put all the money in this dog, and and people have donated. We've trained it. We got all this equipment." And I I started laughing. I felt kind of he he was kind of embarrassed, and I started laughing. And I said, "I wouldn't take this dog, Bob, if if I was told to do it. I would not. What am I going to do with him? He's your dog. He's part of the the Mancini family. That's like taking your son. Okay, you're going to leave fishing game. Leave your son with me. Mm. And and." Uh, it just was unheard of to do that. And I said, look, that's the chance I take as a colonel when I give ask you guys to make this huge commitment free of charge. Quite frankly, they're they're committed to these dogs seven days a week. They put, as you know, you never get paid for this. You know that. Mm-hmm. You've committed hundreds of hours to a dog and never got paid for that. Now I'm going to take him? You're not going to do that. You sacrifice that um, when he goes. And I wished him well. Uh, I, you know, and then the, the best part of this story is the day came not long after this, that Bob came to me to return. He, he, things had changed for him. He learned some good lessons in life. He, he physically improved. And, and so he made the decision that he would like to come back. He came to see me in the same respectful way. I'd never done this in New Hampshire. New Hampshire had never hired anyone back. I'm going to always view this as one of the best decisions I ever made because I got an outstanding officer who has grown. He is a good example of the grass isn't always greener. <laughs> I got her back. And the most interesting part, Wayne, was I called his wife, Amy, at near the end of this because even though Bob would tell you that Amy was all about him coming back to work, I knew better than that. He was a chief up there in his other job and he was home every night for dinner at five and coming back to fishing game, that was going to change. And you can tell me all day your wife's good with that. I know better. I like Amy a lot. I called her up to thank her. I said, Amy, I just want to thank you. I know you're sacrificing, allowing him to come back. And I said, I just want you to understand how much we all appreciate it. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, I owe you. And she said, Colonel, I got to tell you, she said, I couldn't take another night of watching the two of them depressed in the living room. She said, Ruger literally is a changed dog since he got back into that cruiser. She said he was miserable and I just couldn't stand watching it any longer. It was kind of funny that they both were, uh, that she indicated that both of them were depressed. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a great story that, you know, and that was a good decision to let him take his dog. I don't know what I would have done with Ruger if I took the dog. So I, I just couldn't do that. No, if anyone wanted my dog, I think I would. I would kill them. For that. So I'm <laughs> with anyone else, that's just ridiculous. So that's the chance we take. And you know, the one thing it did do is it made me aware that I have to put that out there. So mm-hmm. I have to make the powers that be understand we are not going to be taking these guys' dogs. Back. So if there's any hesitation on this, we need to have this open discussion ahead of time. Because once these guys get these dogs, even if they're retired dogs. And, they, and I'm hopeful that we will have that, retired, healthy dogs. These guys are going to take these dogs home. They're part of their families, and, and that's not going to change. Under my watch, it's not going to change. So, um, And in this particular case, it worked out great. I got them both back. So that was a good decision. So
2: Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. And, and this whole program is funded by donations, isn't it?
7: It is. It. it we never went to the state uh, asking for any funding for the program because we knew the well was dry and we couldn't fund some of the things that we have now. So in order to do this, we were going to have to fund it through donations. And in the beginning, it was a little rough. Wildlife Heritage Foundation came aboard, has been a tremendous help. Without their help, we wouldn't have a canine program. They've been super to work with. They've promoted the dogs. They've they've promoted fundraisers. They're just great people to work with. I met with two of their ranking board members uh, this past week, as a matter of fact. And the question came up, uh, why wouldn't this, you know, they they weren't, They weren't uh, asking for any other reason other than I think than curiosity, but they did say, why wouldn't the state fund this? And I said, well, they probably would now because we've all seen, thank goodness uh, for the show, the Northwoods Law Show. It's been demonstrated over and over how valuable these dogs are on live TV for people to see. And so I don't think it would be a difficult push to go to the state of New Hampshire and say, listen, we got to fund these dogs and this is a good program. The problem with that, I think you lose some control quite frankly, over how these dogs are used. I might lose the ability to make the decision that these dogs are not going to go anywhere. They're going to stay with the rightful owners if the state now becomes the legal owner of them. So unless I have to, I'd like to keep it the way it is. I think it's run very well. We have a a good fund. that's pretty well established. We're buying cruisers. uh, And we spoil them. These dogs have got cruisers as you know, that start automatically, the air condition comes on when it's hot, if it's cold and they leave these dogs in those trucks uh, and it and overheats or gets uh, cold, excuse me, they start up and heat up. I am not gonna lose a dog in a cruiser and whatever that, if you commit to a dog program, you gotta have. And I've been told by other chiefs in surrounding states uh, that they don't want their officers to talk to our canine officers here in New Hampshire, because they find out the equipment we bought for them and it puts pressure on them to buy the same type of equipment. <laughs> so apparently we take good care of our dogs, but you know, they're a, they're an officer Wayne, you know that. Mm. And they hurt just like we do. They get sore, they get cold, they get hot. And, and if you're going to take care of your officers, you, you got to treat these dogs the same. So we do, we do just that. So um and it, it's the investment you got to make if you want great dogs. And, and every dime is worth it because we have great dogs. So
2: Right. And if people wanted to donate, it's the New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation and just earmark it for the dog program, right?
7: The canine program, the canine yes. Program. The heritage, and the heritage is a great – anyone that wants to donate for any kind of cause involving uh, New Hampshire Fish and Game, the Heritage Foundation is an excellent source for that. There's some great people there with, that are very passionate about what we do and how we do it. And without their help and assistance, equipment purchases and safety equipment, I, I could go on all day about the things they've done for this agency. So they're a great source to make these donations. And you can, you can rest assured that the money that you donate will go for causes that you want it to go to. They're very, they're very careful about, which is important. So yeah, yeah, that's a great way to supplement these programs.
2: Great, and they're a non-profit, so people, it's actually a write-off for tax deduction, so that's great. And and the other thing we're doing with this podcast, Colonel, is we're incorporating the New Hampshire 4-H Dog Clubs because of COVID-19. We're not able to train, we're not able to get together with our dogs, we're not able to pass on the knowledge to these young kids. Uh, So we're we're working through with them and it's just you know that I was in 4-H and I showed dogs growing up. I became passionate about dogs. I I worked that into uh, fishing game a little and now my son and since I've retired, I've become a four H dog leader. So we're, we're, we're doing something for the the youth and, and getting them connected to their dogs and what a great way it is because they can actually see these dogs on T V work and then learn a little bit bo- more about them in the podcast. Kinda I always call it the backstage, to Northwoods Law. You know, you get to actually the full story or hear hear a little bit more.
7: Great. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it. And and, you know, it's good to get them started, at, as you know, like you did at a young age, too, because they'll be very knowledgeable as they grow older. You don't see, you know, kids that, that uh, have relationships with animals at a young age become great adults. You don't, you don't see examples of them doing anything outside of being good adults, responsible adults. It teaches them a lot of teamwork. It teaches them a lot of respect. And and the value of hard work. So it is a great program. I'm glad you got involved in it. And I know you had some judging uh, capabilities. So it's a it's a good thing for Andrew, your son, to have you as an asset to show. And you guys have done pretty well. My understanding.
2: Yes, he's he's done extremely well his first year. He was he was right at the top usually. So, yeah, job. no, he's done very well with his dog. And I I had a lot of things I had to learn because you know, my breed was German Shepherd. He got a German wire hair pointer, totally different, but I have to take that step back and remember it's his dog, not mine. Right. <laughs> <Imagine laughs> yeah. You know, and she can hunt with us and uh she's been a great companion for him there. They're 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 pretty pretty tight. And that's pretty watching all the 4-H kids with their animals and with their dogs it's 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 that companionship and I hope I'm growing future game wardens that'll be canine handlers whether it's for our state or another state. Everything I've talked to all these guys including Ken St. Pierre who's coming on as a dog handler which is pretty exciting and uh, the aspect of getting another puppy and, and maybe a chocolate if that's what tests good I, I'm hearing so that would be kind of a a, a nice addition to the fleet.
7: <laughs> that's right. West, uh, the owner of um, Rise and Shine Kennels, where we get these dogs, and, of course, though, I'm sure you've talked about that, but they're gen- they've generously donated these dogs to us, which is incredible. I mean, he has uh, some of the, in my opinion, the top-of-the-line hunting dogs around, and he takes, he sacrifices uh, one of these dogs all the time for us. And mm. uh, he told me the other day, he was very excited that he had, I remember he called me when we got Moxie, and if those folks that don't, no moxie moxie is a is a uh, blonde dog or red dog and uh red yellow leather, and yep, yellow we always yeah. had I'm sorry, she's got a little we brown yellow, in black. her black <laughs> we always had black uh, labs and so he was very apologetic when he's telling me about this puppy this round of puppies that he got and uh, and i couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell me and i said you know wes if you need me to purchase one i'll do what i can because i understand that and i'll i'll be willing to do that your dogs are are worth it, and I, I want to say that no. he said, "No, no, that's not the problem." He said, "The real problem is, Kevin." He said, "The dog is yellow," and I said, "Yellow? You mean in color?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Wes, I, I, don't. That's the problem." <laughs> he said, yes. I said, "Wes, the dog can be purple. <laughs> the dog is in the line that these other dogs are. I don't care what color it is. I, I guess he thought that was going to be a big bombshell, and I'd take a blue dog from Wes and rise the <laughs> kennel." I'll tell you, it doesn't matter to me what color they are. So he's very excited. He called me the other day and said, I might be able to get you a chocolate one. I said, that would be cool. Then I would have every color. That would be great. But again, Wes, not a deal breaker for me. So whatever you can give me, as long as it's out of that same or similar bloodline, and they're as talented as the other dogs are, I'm, I'm good with that. So we'll see. But it would be nice to have a chocolate one. I like chocolate
2: Yeah, it's that would be neat. neat. And that's West Reed with Rise and Shine Kennels, right? And what you Yeah, and anyone looking for a hunting dog,
7: I'm telling you, you you are missing the boat if you don't Google that and give him a buzz. Mm. They're not cheap dogs, but I don't think any of these hunting dogs are. But go to I would encourage anyone to go to a show where he demonstrates the abilities of these dogs and you watch for yourself. And if you leave there thinking that you shouldn't own one of them you don't know what you're looking for because these are awesome dogs and he does a great job. They run a very nice kennel, a very clean one. Those dogs are not even in a kennel. They're in his home. He's a dog lover too. So he's a great guy. I was just on the phone with him two days ago talking about this podcast. As a matter of fact, he's a good asset for people that want to have a hunt. You know, they're great people.
2: right? And he doesn't mind talking to you and educating you and all of that. So that's, that's definitely awesome. Wes is a great guy, and talking to all the guys through this every time it comes out is your support, Colonel, for their program. They train twice, twice the amount that they're required to train. You have them meet every Monday, and that's very reflective yeah. in, in how they perform out there. And that, that says a lot that you're invested in much as much as everybody else is. This even even more so.
7: And you know Mark Hensel, who started our canine program, he deserves credit for a lot of that because he started that rigorous training schedule. I think they train a little differently now than when Mark was there, but Mark started that once a week came in and I was a captain. I think at the time he talked to the Colonel at the time, Colonel Garabedian, and we thought that was a bit aggressive state police only trains once a, once a month or, or twice a month. But again, you, just like anything else, you get what you pay for. These dogs are super dogs. They do a tremendous job. They don't make mistakes. And I attribute that to the fact that they train every week. It's a big hit for the districts that lose a guy, but we, we kind of worked with the lieutenants. We move them around, so they're in different districts each each week. Uh, COVID kind of put the damper on some of that, so they ended up training alone, which I didn't like, because uh, you know it's better to train with, mm-hmm. with people. They're getting just getting back to that now. But you're right. that And that is a tribute to them to maintain that schedule, because that's not, as you know, being a warden. That's not an easy schedule to maintain. No. You're committed a day of no matter what happens, you're going to be training with your dog, and that's, that's huge. But – but they also, I've also heard the excitement in their voice, the officers, and seen their faces when their dog saves a life, and I'm sh- and they've all done it. All three of these dogs have done, it, in my opinion. Uh, Ruger just recently, you know, that makes it all worthwhile. So I leave thinking, you bet we're going to train every week. And if they think we need to do it twice a week, that's what we're going to move to. You know, whatever it takes. That's what, you either you got to jump into this right up to your ears or <laughs> don't. And and you're either going to I don't want half a program. If we're going to have canines, I want working quality canines. And that's what we have. I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud of the guys that have made them the way they are. And that's through their commitment. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good program. I'd yeah. like to have more. I've been, it's been a constant battle to get four. I've not yet been able to get, it. I've gotten right on the edge and one of the guys left or, or we had to retire. So I'm, I'm hopeful that when Ken gets his, we'll hit that mark, mm. but, Uh, I'd like to have uh, the eventual goal would be six. Wayne, I'd like one in each district. I could see the advantage of that because they're crime fighters as well. They're not only rescue dogs, uh, search and rescue. They they they're finding evidence and they're doing an outstanding job making cases. So um, it'd be nice to have one in each district.
2: Yeah, Bob's on his way tomorrow uh, to do a felony case. Apparently look for some evidence in a felony case taking Ruby down there.
7: State police are now calling them. I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but uh, state police are using our canines now for any outdoor crimes uh, to find evidence, shootings, uh, homicides, domestic violences. They've been called on all of that stuff. The one that, that was the most concerning for me was the murder that occurred a number of years ago in Conway uh, at the Army Navy store when they were robbed and, and the owner was killed and the, the subject left there armed, went up the railroad bed, and Mark Hensel was called with his dog to find, poacher, to find that individual and eventually did so it's those kinds of calls that when these dogs are successful that it pays all this training pays off
2: mm. no thanks colonel for joining us and sharing all that stuff thanks for being a dog lover and uh <laughs> putting putting this on and uh being so supportive of the guys and uh yeah i think that it, it, it it adds so much to our agency, whether it's community yeah. policing, whether it's finding evidence, yeah. and whether it's finding people. Uh, these dogs have added so much to the New Hampshire Fishing Game Law Enforcement Division. So they're great dog yeah. officers.
7: <laughs> yeah. Well, Thanks for helping us pave the way, Wayne. A lot of people don't understand that you had one of the first dogs that we saw the value of this. So that uh, that started this ball that we now have. So it was uh, it was. You know, it's worth taking, uh, for the the chiefs out there that watch and listen to this, you know, if you get a guy that comes up with an idea, give him a shot at it. Let him run with it, because sometimes it's a great idea, and in this case it was. So we benefit every day because of it. So thanks again.
2: Well, great, Colonel, thanks for joining us.
7: (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
2: So that concludes our New Hampshire Fishing Game Law Enforcement Canine Podcast. And these dogs and these officers can be seen on Northwood's Law on Animal Planet so you can actually get that connection. Um, it's pretty pretty cool that you can combine this. Also, if you want to f- visually see these things, you can go to the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and actually see these uh, interviews and see some of the dogs. So that, that's pretty special as well. I just that's what this podcast is really about is like supporting those people that support fishing game law enforcement. International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, the Operation Game Thieves around the country, the Turn-in-a-Poacher programs, I want to get that message out to you. These, these, whether they're nonprofits, come back and they help wildlife in a way that no other does. And that's kind of really unique and really specific to our wildlife agencies. It's a great opportunity to help. And 4-H, 4-H is just the most awesome program in the world, no matter where you are or what your interests are, I am sure that there's a 4-H program for you and your children. And it teaches you so much. It teaches you responsibility. It teaches you how to be a quality person in this day and age. So no matter what your interest is, Google 4-H and see if there's something there that's for you. And there's just so much opportunity there, whether you're a dog lover Whether you're a chicken lover, whether you're a cow lover, whether you want to be in administration, uh, politics, there is so much. There's a 4-H Congress. They teach you all about how our government works, and they put you in a 4-H Congress, which is just priceless. It is just priceless. So 4-H is a great, great program, one that I came through, one that gave me life skills that are so important now. It's unbelievable. Please take your time. Look into 4-H. Thank you for your support of this podcast. And how you can help me is share this with friends. Go to Facebook, the social media sites, uh, Instagram. Follow me, like me. Those are the ways you can help me. I'm certainly uh, looking for some advertisers, always looking for advertisers, trying to work with uh, people to continue this podcast. So thank you very much for listening to this canine fishing game podcast and new hampshire isn't the only one the canine program there are so many fish and wildlife canine programs out there across the country that do such a good job your state probably has one as well and they probably do a dynamic job and we will be talking to some of those dog handlers across the nation as warden's watch continues thank you so much <whistles>
4: is Warden's Watch.